So how are we doing this morning? I'm good. Um, we are trying to end a little early just to kind of give you the heads up. Uh, obviously, there's a meal planned. I'm sure you saw that as you walked in. So we're going to join uh, Forest and Presbyterian after uh, after the service. And so uh, if, if I'm going quick, it's because there's a whole lot I want to cover. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to squash it down a little bit. So um, who is the church? That's, uh, that's the question that we're asking uh, in these, these weeks that we're going through. Obviously, we're doing a series on the church as a whole. But we're asking this question of who is the church? Last week, um, Rick talked on the Bible's teaching that every Christian should live within the context of a community, a community of believers. And he looked from Ephesians 4, and he, one of the things that he touched on briefly was the leadership of that community. And we're going to spend our entire time this morning looking at what does the Bible teach us about how the leadership of a church is set up, and what those leaders are called to, but also what you all are called to. All right, so uh, let me pray, and then I'll direct us there. Father, you are good, and I'm just excited about what you have this morning. God, mainly because it's, it's your word and it's your truth, and I'm excited about the fact that walking in obedience to you and submitting to you is the pursuit of joy. And so I pray that we'd see that today. I pray that we'd see that submitting to you is the greatest pursuit of freedom that we could ever experience in our lives. Uh, so God, humble us, teach us, make us more like you. Uh, I need you now. In Christ's name, amen. So it's God's design that every single Christian, every single child of his, place themselves under the authority of leadership within a local church. Okay, um, and we believe this very strongly. Uh, we believe the Bible teaches what's called church membership, and we're going to spend uh, our, the entire time next week looking into that and what that means and give opportunity. And some of you are, are members here at North Church. Some of you aren't. And you haven't had that opportunity. We're going to walk through what does this mean to commit myself to a local fellowship. We strongly believe that that's what the Bible teaches. It's all over the Bible. Um, submitting yourself to the authority of, of elders, pastors within a local context of, of a church. We also believe that the Bible teaches that a church is to be led uh, by a group of male elders, okay? And that there's certain ways in which those elders, pastors, leaders are called to serve and lead and certain ways they're called not to. Uh, you're probably, some of you are familiar with First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, two passages where it talks about what a leader of a church is called to, how they're supposed to lead, who they're supposed to be. Uh, we're not going to take the time to go in depth with those. Um, I would encourage you to read those on your own. They're massively important for what we're, what we're talking about, but we are going to spend a little bit of time in First Peter chapter 5 uh, this morning. Um, before we go to First Peter 5, here's what I want you to do. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20. We're not going to be in Acts chapter 20 long. Um, but I want to start there. Uh, if you need a Bible, way back on the table back there, I think there's some. Um, if you don't own one or you want another one, there you go. It's yours. But I want to start in Acts 20, and here's the first thing that I want to look at. I want to look at this idea that God is the one who appoints leaders 
of his church. Okay? God is the one that appoints the leaders of his church. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Paul, in Acts chapter 20, is talking, and who he's talking to uh, are specific leaders, elders, pastors. I'm going to use that term synonymous, synonymously. Elder, pastor, overseer are all synonymous terms we see in the scriptures. Okay? Paul's talking to a group of elders over a church in Ephesus. Okay? And he's going to give them specific instructions as to what it means to lead and how they are called to lead. Okay? So pick it up at verse 28. Here's what it says. Acts 20, verse 28. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. Uh, There are many leaders in our churches today that the way they look at this passage is... They follow it to a T, although it's the exact opposite of what the passage intends. Because notice how it starts when it says, pay careful attention to yourselves. There's a lot of church leaders that do a great job of paying attention to themselves. And seeking to draw attention, build an empire that has their name on it, um, get their name out there, show their face, um, make a big deal about them, and a lesser deal about the gospel and the God of the gospel. Um, But really, that's the exact opposite of what this passage is teaching. Um, You might be familiar with with King Saul in the Old Testament. Uh, 1 Samuel, I think it's in chapter 10, where God anoints King Saul to lead Israel. Okay? And what happens? He begins to make a big deal about himself. He begins to say, I want to do it my way. Uh, He knows what obedience looks like. He knows how God's called him to lead. But he's like, I'm going to do it my way. And what happens? God who appointed him is the same one who says, see ya, you're gone. And there's a lot of leaders today that don't realize that. In the same way that King Saul didn't realize it, leading, drawing attention to self, building something for themselves, why is that a big deal? We'll look back at the look back at the passage. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So it's not like, yeah, as a leader, I'm a part of this thing, but equally so are you, right? Okay, but but if you continue on, it says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Okay? So God is the one who appoints through the Holy Spirit those who lead. But what are they leading? What does it say? Look at it. To care for the church of God which he ordained with his own blood. Okay? So this isn't my church. This isn't Rick's church. This is God's church. Why? Because he wrote a big check? No, he gave up his life. He purchased the, the people of God with his own blood. He bought them. That's why this is such a massive thing that we realize how leadership is set up. So leaders of a church all of a sudden don't have as much say as they think they do. Their desires, my desires, aren't all that important unless I put them underneath God's word and what it says and how God has designed church life to function. And so it's it's no longer this my church or how I want to lead as much as it's, no, God, what do you have? What is your will? But there's another thing that this 
has importance to is not only how a, a pastor elder leads, but also the implications that it has on those who are called to follow. Here's why. If, if you believe that God appoints the leadership of his church, then to that extent, you will follow. And to the extent that you don't follow, you're not trusting Jesus. You're not walking in obedience to Jesus because he's the one who, who sets it up. And if we're, we're pursuing him, we're following him, then what happens? The things he lays out, the authority he sets in our lives, then becomes, as we walk in obedience to him, we walk in obedience to the authority he's placed in our lives. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 5. And this is where we'll spend the remainder of our time. Uh, flip to the right. Several books. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter, but you couldn't have guessed it, Peter's writing. I know it's kind of tricky to, to know that. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you since I know you were scratching your head. Peter's writing, and here's, here's what he's doing. He's writing to several churches in the region of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Okay, now let me remind you of a couple things about Peter. Okay. We know Peter infamously for what? He gets a bad rap all the time, does he not? Denying Christ three times. It's like, who's Peter? Oh, it's the dude who denied Christ, right? Um, we think about that all the time. But m- more importantly than that, Peter was one of the closest followers of Christ. He's in the inner circle of Jesus. Also, he's one that we'll see here in the passage that he experienced, he witnessed the sufferings of Christ. But not only that, he's the guy that Jesus grabs, calls out, and says, I want to use your life to inaugurate the greatest movement in history, namely the church, and namely advancing the kingdom of God and advancing the gospel to bring redemption to a lost and dying world. Okay, so when we look in 1 Peter 5, and we see that this Peter, the one who Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, and Peter starts talking about how church life should function, and how leaders should lead, and how those under those leaders should follow, I think he's going to probably have some pretty important things to say. Verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, so I want to I stop there. Okay, so Peter, he starts out and he's like, I'm going to give an exhortation. But you got to remember, he's doing this. Not, he's not just talking to like one set of elders over a church. He's talking to like a massive number of leaders, church leaders. Okay, and he's like, I exhort you. Here's what you need to be doing. Here's how you need to be living. Here's how you need to be leading. But he does something amazing. Because in that, you could see Peter, the one who's like almost starts this whole deal. You could see him kind of putting his foot down and saying, here's the deal. You better be doing this. But, but look, at, look back. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So what is he doing? He's looking in the mirror. He's saying, here's what I've called you to. Here's, here's what God has called you to. Excuse me. But he's called me to that as well. So he, he lowers himself and he's like, I'm one of you. He's saying that to these church leaders. 
I am one of you. And so the very things that we're going to lay out that God calls you to as a leader, he's saying to these people, he calls me to as well. It's amazing. Continue on. He says in two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I'm not going to take much time to describe that. I'm just going to go with the fact that probably most of you understand the concept of shepherding. Not by experience, I'm assuming, but just by you've lived life. You understand what, it, what a shepherd does. Protection, providing uh, food and care and nurturing a flock of sheep. And it's the image that the Bible oftentimes uses to describe leaders and the people they're shepherding and caring for. Okay, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So it's a specific people exercising oversight. So what are they doing? What are leaders called to do? They're called to see the whole, right? They're called to understand the whole picture of what's happening and begin to see danger coming and begin to see, okay, this isn't the direction we're going. They begin to set the tone and the direction that they believe God is leading them to walk in. Okay? This is a description of, of Rick and I in this context. Okay? Now, here's what I want to hit on, though. Elders are responsible before God as to how they lead. Elders are responsible before God as to how they lead. Okay? That's huge. And I say that looking in a mirror as if Peter was looking in a mirror, okay? Continue on. He's going to lay it out right here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay. Here's what Peter's doing. He's going to lay out three dangers. Three things that he's going to say. Elders, pastors, watch out for this. There's a tendency for you to fall into these three things that has the potential to not only to destroy you, but also to destroy the church, the local church. Um, first one. What does it say? Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You know what compulsion is? It's the idea of being forced. Being forced to do something. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but as a parent, I experience it numerous times a day. You know the difference between forcing a child, or anyone for that matter, to do something as opposed to getting their heart behind it when they do it? It's completely different. I mean, you know this in, in life and in jobs. When, when you have your heart behind something, when a person has their heart behind a task, it goes so much different than when they're like, okay, here we go, I got to do this, and they're telling me to do this. And that, That's what it's talking about. W one of the dangers is, is laziness or a lack of passion. W why do I say that? Well, in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul's setting up the structure of how a church should be led, and he's laying out the qualifications of a church leader, what does he do? Look at the passage. 
1 Timothy 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what is that saying? It's saying that, that a person that's called by God to pastor and to lead, there should be aspiration for that. Passion to walk out what God has called them to do. And the tendency, Peter's saying, is that you lose that. And you begin to just become a professional leader. And you just go through the motions, and it's like, I got to deal with this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. And the heart is disengaged. That's, that's one, of the, one of the first concerns. But uh, I, I ran across a tweet. I don't know how many of you are tweeters. Um, I ran across a tweet by uh, John Maxwell, a pretty famous uh, leadership guy. And he's quoting Steve Jobs, CEO of Apple. And here's what Steve Jobs says. If you're working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. That's exactly what Peter's getting at. Don't lead under compulsion. If you're forced, if a leader's forced to do it, they're, they're losing the passion and the mission that, that God's given them. They're losing that. The second thing, keep reading. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This one's almost, almost humorous to me, in part. Uh, the second danger is personal benefits. A- as if a leader would pursue a position of leadership in order to gain something, okay? Now, now it, it could make sense, unless you're talking about money, which I think is hilarious. If, you know, someone's got to have pretty low standards and pretty low goals if they're using ministry to gain money. I'm sorry, or either there's a whole lot I don't know about or something, um, and maybe someone needs to fill me in. No, that would kind of go against this, but... Um, but it's the same thing that King Saul did. It's the same thing that he laid out earlier, or even in Acts chapter 20, where he's saying, be careful not to build this empire that has your name around it. I love, like, church material where it's got, like, the pastor's face on it. And, uh, you know, I've driven by churches, and there's, like, a big sign that has the church name and some guy's face. I'm like, yeah, that's what we want. Who's that guy? Is that, like, Jesus' buddy or something? Okay, well, what's the concern? Don't seek to live out and lead in such a way as to, I'm going to gain, shamefully. There's nothing wrong with, with a leader gaining, a pastor getting paid. But when it becomes this thing of it's all about me, that's where the concern is. Next thing, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This one's also huge. What is, it, what is this about? It's about being power hungry. It's leaders who get tripped up in their position. And they make a big deal about God's placed me in this position, or they probably wouldn't even say that, but they'd be like, I'm in this position and I'm going to dictate and determine and dominate you because I have authority. And they manipulate and all kinds of hurt and pain happens and they use and abuse really for personal gain. But what does it say? Don't domineer over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. So, as a leader, 
when a leader says, here's what I need you to do, we need to go over here, we need to take care of this, we need to go over here, we need to take care of this, we need to serve here, we need to do this, we need to do that. What am I called to? Do it with you. That's being an example. It's the same thing that Paul said when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's biblical leadership. That's what Peter's after. That's what Jesus is after. But look down at verse 4 again. Peter's going to remind those leaders that there's a day coming when the chief shepherd appears. Okay, so what is that saying? It's saying Jesus is going to return, and he's not going to be like, okay, let's see how Dave's church is going, or let's see how Rick's church is going. He's like, no, I'm going to come and see how my church is going, and you're going to give an account for how you led, he's going to say to me. Okay, so no, I'm not a shepherd because Jesus is the chief shepherd, so I'm then an under-shepherd. I'm leading as I follow. I'm leading in following. And an elder is called to lay down their life in the same way that the chief shepherd laid down his life. Now, Peter's going to transition here. He's going to go to another point of application. Just spent time talking about how a leader is supposed to lead, and now he's going to spend time talking about what is required of those under that leadership. This is where you come in. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He specifically mentions this phrase, you, you who are younger. Um, and before some of you are like, well, I'm older than you, so I'm off the hook. Um, here's what Peter's doing. He's specifically addressing um, the, the typical young people who are very headstrong and who are very prideful and who love to abuse authority and who love to resist authority. Okay, that, that's specifically what he's addressing with the understood imperative that it applies to all. Okay, now in Hebrews chapter 13, we see it specifically applied to all. Hebrews 13 verse 17, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me stop and say this is a very scary text as a pastor. This keeps me up at night. Because it says that I'm called to keep watch over your soul, and I'm going to give an account for it. Wow. That's, uh, that's crazy. But notice the beginning. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Does, does that seem odd? Does that seem odd that God calls people to a local church context to submit to authority, to obey authority? Why? Here's why. You need someone to care for your soul. You need someone to watch your soul. Now, you might be sitting there and being like, no, I don't. 
I'm pretty competent. I got good eyes. I had Lasix. I can do it. And the problem with that is the Bible. That's not how God designed it. That's not how God set it up to function. No. He set it up to function that, that shepherds, spiritual shepherds, not so much physical, but that spiritually care for, watch out, watch over you. That's, that's the way God set it up. You can, you can even go to Ezekiel 3, and we don't have time to go there, but it talks about a watchman that watches out and, and calls out sin in a person's life. Why? To make a big deal about someone? No, to point them back to where joy is found in walking in obedience to Jesus. But even further as we look at this, think about it. God has appointed authority in your life to shepherd your soul in the, with the goal of pushing you to more and more likeness in the image of Christ. Let me give you an example. For four years, I coached high school basketball. You know what I came to realize that those guys needed more than anything? Is they needed direction. And they needed discipline. They needed someone to come alongside them and point them in a direction, call them to certain goals, call them to certain tasks, address, hey, hey, hey work on this, hey, do this. They, they need that. You know what it'd be like if you take those guys and you tell them to run their own practice? Now, we had some pretty good guys. But, but for the average guy, you tell them to run their own practice, even the guys that are going to work hard aren't going to work as hard. But you take a coach, and you bring a coach alongside them, and you all of a sudden put sprints on the line, you all of a sudden put a starting position on the line, you start making things matter, you start calling people to a standard, it's amazing. And, and, I, and I witnessed it. It's amazing what it produces. That's the same thing that the Bible teaches about spiritual authority. Someone to come alongside and push you. Rhetorical question. Are you prone to sin? Are, are, are you prone to sin? I am. When... How often do you just, oh, I think uh, I'm just going to wake up in the morning and I just always feel like reading my Bible. I just always feel like obeying Jesus. I just always feel like doing what I'm supposed to. I just always feel like what God has called me to. No. Like, that's not the natural tendency because we're seeking to become and practice who we already are in the eyes of God. And that's a really hard thing. Because we're a broken people that God is conforming more and more into his likeness. And we need people to speak into our lives. And be like, what are you doing? You're forfeiting your joy. We need that. A, a pastor and elder is called to pray for you. I'm called to teach you the word. I'm called to call out sin in your life. 
But you're also called to do those things for me in some sense. We'll get to that in a second. When you read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, here's what I don't think we see. These qualifications of church leaders, what I don't think we see is some spiritually elite group that have arrived and have a lot to say to those who don't or haven't. No. You know what those passages really are? Is there a picture of what Christian maturity is? That they're a picture of what it means to pursue maturity in walking in relationship with Christ. The standard is so high. And so it's not some, well, these are the you know, superstar Christians. They're the ones who've been called out by God, who God has obtained or brought about maturity in their life. They're still broken. <laughs> They're the same as the people, just administering their gifting in a specific way. Uh, there's one person uh, in this room uh, that has had the Lord teaching him some incredible things regarding submission. So I had a chance to sit down with Travis and uh, interview him a little bit about what God has been teaching him, this journey that God's taken him on regarding submission. And so we're going to watch this video. Uh, I apologize that we need a new projector bulb, and it's really hard to see. Um, but if you need to see Travis, you can just look at him right here. <laughs> Um, and then just listen as if maybe Travis can like, kind of mild the words as, uh, as, we, go, as we go through. So um, uh, watch this. I think that uh, the idea of being under submission uh, or submitting to leadership and submitting to authority is an ongoing process, an ongoing journey. Saying that, uh, I wanted to say that my life has seen a lot of change in the way that God has led me to follow. Um, when Megan and I lived in Pennsylvania, I was intensely discipled under one man uh, who led me very well and grew me very well. And uh, towards the end of our, not relationship, but rather before we were to move on, um, he told me that uh, the next part of my journey of growing was going to be humility, and um, I was like, well, great, and uh, had no idea how how much humility uh, brings a person low, and I had no idea how prideful and full of myself I was, and am, and I'm still trying to not be. That's an ongoing process, too. But so... Uh, God led me to bring my family to St. Louis, where he led us to be a part of North Church. Um, and North Church was this fresh new church, newly planted. The church that I was a part of for the previous seven years was a church plant also. And I said to myself, this makes a lot of sense. I've got a lot of experience coming from a church plant. I've been in a small group leadership role. Uh, I've had tons of experience in playing music and all these other things. And all I thought about was all of the great things 
that I could bring to North Church. And God totally had a different plan in mind and thought of all the great things that North Church could bring to me and um, wanted to change my outlook and change my humility. Um, I came into a small group and pressed buttons on authority and questioned my authority and questioned uh, the people that were above me. And God basically said to me, you are very full of yourself and basically put me low. Uh, he also put me into a job that doesn't touch on any of my gifts at all and basically uh, makes me just another body. And so that was another ultra humiliating thing because I had spent the previous four years of my life not only being tapped into gifted-wise uh, through my church community, but my job was teaching. And so it, it really used, used me and used my abilities, and, and God wanted to say that I was more than the gifts that I was sinking my identity into. And so really he just brought me low and said that your job here is not to change North Church, but to follow North Church. And so, um, in that, uh, I've been able to develop great relationships with the leadership and being able to follow the men that God has put into position to lead North Church. And uh, so the, the gifting that I am able to give to North Church um, may not look like what I thought it would look like. Instead, now it looks like uh, whatever North Church needs. If it's in me, God will pull it out of me. And so, um, basically, coming back around to the submission aspect of it, um, it's, it's led me into a different place of humility and drawn out um, uh, negative aspects of pride and just a, an ugly human being that I lived in and thought very highly of and just basically brought me low, brought me into realizing the darkness that I lived in. Go back to 1 Peter 5. Humility. We talked about God appoints the leaders of his church. God calls those leaders to account as to how they lead. God calls you to follow in submission to the authority that he set up. But look at back at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Both you and I are called to humility. Travis explained that brilliantly. And I didn't even tell him to. What does that, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? Because this is huge. Because neither the leadership nor the followers are better than another. So you don't have this, this hierarchy in the sense of priority, in the sense of one's better than another. You don't have that. Because it says, humble yourselves. It says, clothe yourselves, which is an intentional thing. I hope that when you wake up in the morning, you think about the clothes you're putting on. 
Okay, you, th- you, you logically think that through in the same way that you logically think through, okay, I'm going to need to put on humility today. And so as your leader, I'll, as one of your leaders, I'm not, I'm not better than you. Now, the tendency is, in sin is to begin to think that way, and that's exactly why Peter comes and, and you know, lays the hammer down as to, you know, leaders, you better be careful because there are some dangers that you can fall into as a leader, and you look around at a lot of churches, and those leaders have fallen into those dangers. And they're abusing their power. And they're not walking in humility. And they're not walking in obedience to Jesus. And they're making it all about them. But notice how Peter goes on in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. So what does that mean? It means that God is supreme. That you and I are both called to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that at any moment has the power to absolutely crush us. Just as much me as you. And we submit and humble, just as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And if we read on, and we won't take the time to do so, but I'll let you do it on your own. You know what he goes on to talk about? How real the devil is. And how the devil wants to absolutely eat you for lunch. Destroy your life. And is working overtime to do so. And he's the author of pride. And the one who wants to bring pride into your life and bring pride into my life. And that's such an incredible means of broken relationships and broken church communities and a failure to advance the kingdom. Because the kingdom isn't about me. It's not even about you. It's about God. Both of us have to come to that realization. And so here's the question for you. Are you submitting to the authority that God's placed in your life? Because that, that's, that's what obedience is. I, th- I talked about that last week. Like, obedience is a huge deal for us right now. And I say that looking in the mirror. Are you walking in obedience to Jesus by submitting to the authority that God's placed in your life? And that's the question that I want you to think through. And we're going to call you to some things and we're going to talk about how do you commit here and how do you say I'm on board? Because what happens is if you don't say you're on board, then all of a sudden when when things don't go the way you like, you can just bail. And all of a sudden you're not under any authority anymore. And what happens? You all of a sudden are the authority rather than God being the authority. That's a preview of next week. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your infinite wisdom. God, that you've called me to pastor, I I will not ever understand. That you've called me to shepherd souls scares me to death. But God, I thank you that you are a God of infinite power, that you are a God of infinite grace that you are a God of infinite love. 
and that you call each and every one of us to know you intimately and to submit to you intimately. And God, that that is the pursuit of our joy. So God, as we think about submission, God, might you press on our hearts to think about what does it mean for it and look like for us to submit to you and walk in obedience to you. God, walk this out in our lives. Break us, teach us, make us more like you in Christ's name, amen.